0: From Liverpool, England, the Beatles have held this title for eight years. My model of business is the Beatles. You know, they were four very talented guys. Hello, and welcome back to the Here, There, and Everywhere podcast. I'm your host, Jack Lawless. Since 1968, Yoko Ono has been subject to worldwide criticism, skepticism, and wrongful blame that she was the one to break up the Beatles. This has been the narrative for decades. Those who were a bit smarter than the rest always questioned this narrative. They knew that Yoko was an artist in her own right, making art that she felt was meaningful, and she meant a lot to John. One of the first things fans pointed out while watching last year's Get Back documentary was how little Yoko Ono interrupted these sessions, contrary to popular belief. Her name was trending worldwide the day of the Get Back premiere. She's a cultural icon, a philanthropist, and an advocate for peace. And now, for the first time ever, an all-encompassing look at Yoko Ono's life, music, and art is being published in astounding detail. Madeline Bacaro has written a 558-page book about it all. And today's guest to talk about her book, you guessed it, Madeline Bacaro. <laughs> Madeline, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. How are you?
1: Great, Jack. Thank you so much.
0: And so you just came out with a fantastic book about Yoko Ono and her works. Um, And I'd love to talk with you about this book. But first, I want to get into uh, your background a bit and kind of find out how you came to write this book. Can you tell us how you grew up and what kind of music you used to listen to as a kid?
1: So I listened to, well, I'll tell you the Beatles story first, if you want to know. Um, I was five years old when they were on the Ed Sullivan show. And my mother called me in to watch it because she knew it was like a major event, I guess. And I watched it. And even though I was young, I could tell there was some electricity going on here, you know, and I, I really appreciated it. But, but at the time, my favorite group was Alvin and the Chipmunks. And a few weeks later, or maybe months later, my mom bought me the album, the chipmunk sing the Beatles hits. And I was like, I loved it. It was the best thing ever. My favorite chipmunk was Alvin. And then <laughs> a few weeks later I heard the Beatles on the radio doing like, please, please me. And I'm like, ma, why are these people singing the chipmunk song? And she's saying <laughs> "Oh, it's the Beatles song. And I didn't understand that different people could sing other people's songs. But I was like, I don't know about this. I think I like the chipmunks better. <laughs> but then fast forward, maybe till I was seven or eight, I was listening to the Beatles in the school library. So they had help and Hard Day's Night albums. And then from Revolver onwards, I was pretty much buying them as they came out.
0: That's awesome. So you finally came around to the Beatles?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and John became my favorite Beatle. I replaced Alvin. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so... At what point in your life did you decide that you wanted to pursue a career in writing?
1: Well, I always had a gift for writing. It just came naturally. I can't tell you the structure of a sentence or whatever, but for some reason I to just tell a story that I'm passionate about in the words that are correct. And I always loved music and I always wanted to write about bands that I loved because I knew they were important and they I didn't know that they would be influencing other bands or whatever I just know that they felt important to me and I just felt that I needed to document all of that know what I mean
0: yeah definitely can you walk us through how you arrived at the decision to write a 558 page book about Yoko Ono and her works
1: so it wasn't it didn't start out to be a book Um, I don't think anybody could start at page one and write a book about Yoko's life. It, It would just be, it's 89 years of important work that was done almost every single day, right? And there was her 33 years before she met John that she was an artist and working and doing events and art pieces. And then she meets him and that's about 12 years of intensity. And then, you know, he's, no longer with us. And then there's another 40 years after him. So I felt like, wow, I just realized I had a lot of stories that i had written over my own lifetime about her because I, I had loved her since I was about 10 years old. And um I, as I started, getting the albums and going to concerts and art exhibitions i would write about them all and i had a lot of friends who would be interested in like what's this about what do you, and then eventually i had a blog and but even before the blog i was just always writing always just writing memories writing diaries and um i started collecting every article that was ever written about her all the interviews on radio i would record with my little cassette player Um, And I had a huge archive of this stuff in chronological order, which was great because every time I was writing about a certain topic, I, I remembered her speaking about it and I could grab the quote. And it's a lot of quotes, all her voice going through the whole book. And it's really I didn't interview anybody new. It's all published quotations from her and John and Sean even Pete Townsend, Phil Spector, just people who had something very, very important to say.
0: What do you think it was that drew you to Yoko Ono from such a young age?
1: Well, the first thing I saw was a picture of her in a magazine, in Time Magazine, 1967. And she was standing in front of one of her films, and it was a frame of bottoms, the, the naked butts. And I just thought, this is really funny. It's it's an adult doing something kooky, which my parents are very serious. Every all the adults I knew were just very serious, hardworking people. And I thought, wow, this woman is fun. This is so cool. And uh I kept the picture, I still have it. And um, yeah, I just every time I saw something because within that year, she was with John. I'm like, whoa, my two worlds collided, you know, Yoko and the Beatles, this is great. So, um that's how I got into her. And I just always just loved her. And I wanted to just find out more and more. And as I did, everything was just so interesting. And she has such an amazing outlook on life and intuition and wisdom. So I had to get it all down.
0: So I have to ask you, what's been the most challenging part for you during this process?
1: So the, I kind of avoided the challenge because all I started speaking to some publishers. What happened was someone gave me software and I, it was called Scrivener and they said, you can take all your word documents and put them in here and organize them. And that's when I realized I had a book and I was able to, you know, structure it and sequence it and got it into a flow that people are really liking. And, um, even though they're all individual stories, they're somewhat chronological and, um, I thought okay, I have a book, so let's see what publishers think. And I made two or three phone calls and I was like, I'm not going to go with a pub. First of all, a lot of them were saying this subject is too eclectic. This is the most famous person in the world practically. Then they said, "Oh, you'd have to cut this down to 250 pages." And I was like, "Bye." <laughs> and I just did it all on my own.
0: And the commitment shows in the book too. I mean, I don't think you can cut this down to 200 pages you know
1: yeah i'm glad you appreciate that and and i'm hoping you know i don't think it really feels as long as a a bible or, or i think because everything is just so straightforward and it's mostly her talking and it i think it goes pretty quickly like if you're enjoying a movie that's three hours long and it goes by pretty quickly
0: is there a chapter that you enjoyed writing the most
1: um there are several of them um The first one that I really like is uh, called From Liverpool to Tokyo, where I wanted to introduce her ancestral history, which is fascinating. But I did it by John meeting her family and going to this big reunion that they had. And that was. That was really interesting because her parents disapproved of John, actually. He came there, she said, showing up like a bum. He wasn't shaven. And, and anybody else who had a, a daughter that was marrying a Beatle would say, "Get yeah, music is to the concert. But there was none of that for her. They were actually, you know, they were very embarrassed and didn't appreciate it at all. And then uh, I have John identified with the picture of uh, Yoko's great-grandfather, And her family were like billionaires. They were the Rockefellers of Japan, basically, from banking. And um, he looks at this picture of the great-grandfather and he says, this guy is me in a past life. And Yoko says, don't say that. He was assassinated. And there's all this kind of stuff throughout the book. It's all real crazy premonitions that both of them have had in their lives. And that was really incredible. And um, a chapter about her philosophies and all of her wisdom is it's called always awake and always dreaming because that's how she described herself once. And it's just about how she used positivity and mind games, even of her own to survive all the horrible negativity that she has always had to endure. And I've got a chapter about her music called queen of the scream. And it's all about her influences and her classical education and training and there's chapters about each of her albums and every song, which no other book has ever done. Um, you know, so that's important. And because each of her albums has a place in her story. Um, and then I talk about there's a chapter called Premonitions, which is about all the eerie things that came true, whether it was an art project or that seemed impossible. She she created a light tower made of light in words, you know, it was just that it would shine in your garden. Um, and John, when he first met her said, Oh, could you build this in my garden? And she said, Oh, it's just conceptual, but here we are 2007, the Imagine peace tower in Iceland. She had it created and built. And then, um, another example is in 1971, she staged a imaginary art exhibition at the museum of modern art in New York city. And, uh, she just put out invitations, placed advertisements. She had a guy outside asking people coming out, oh, what did you think of the Yoko Ono show? And some of them were like, oh, I missed it. Or I don't know, like, yeah, it was okay. And then here we are, 2015, the exhibition became a reality, one woman show. So things like that. and But not only that, but eerie things where, you know, things that she said in song lyrics that later came true in 50 years. <laughs> or just sad things, exciting thing. It's an amazing chapter, premonitions, um, and I don't know. There's well a fun chapter about her fashions and her style, and the chapter about when John and Yoko met at Inzuka Gallery. So that's really exciting because I kind of try to bring back the shimmering sixties and the turbulent seventies and the the time around surrounding it and what was going on and you know a lot of. Us grew up in that era and I'm hoping to bring back fond memories and explanations of of what all the messages meant and how it correlated to the times. And, you know, I talk about all her art pieces in that one that, that John fell in love with, what what he led to meeting her, and it goes on and on.
0: <laughs> Was there anything that you learned while putting all of this information together about Yoko?
1: Um I learned that that there is a lot that people misunderstood. I knew that, but I learned that there's a way to present it. Not only to debunk all the myths and rumors because I cite all the quotations as you can see, you know, right b- beneath each one what magazine it was in, who said it, what date. Um and I I just I don't want to just Force people to say, you know, this is the true story. This is it. I'm bringing forth her words and John's words and other people um, speaking of what an incredible woman this is. Um, how she pretty much saved John and nurtured him, and he would have been a different person without her completely. And there's so much that people are learning from her story. Just, just even her her outlook and her intuition and her insights. And they're saying it's kind of calming and healing to read. And they say, sometimes I start and I want to read for an hour, but I'm reading the same two pages over and over because it's something so profound that I really want to sink in. it's things like that, that how much she can really touch people.
0: What do you think the biggest misconception about Yoko Ono is?
1: Well, I just think of everything that's said about her that's negative, it's actually the opposite that's true. It, it, and I'll give you one example. Um, I used a lot of an interview, not a lot, but like some paragraphs of an interview, an unpublished interview by a uh, British journalist, Caroline Kuhn. And I asked her permission to use it. And she said, oh Madeline, I'm so happy you're gonna use some of this. It's beautiful interview, incredible. And I said, well, why wasn't this published? She said, Oh, well, it, it was for Cosmopolitan. And when I handed in, they said, Oh, you've got to dirty this up. You've got to talk about how she hooked John onto drugs and how she uh abandoned her daughter. And and thankfully, Caroline just like pulled the story. But other journalists would not pull the story. And this is why we have all this confusion. So that's what went on. And it's it's not fair. And It it shouldn't be done to anyone, but especially Yoko, because she's just got, she's sincere, she's genuine, she's pure, and she's got a lot to say that we can learn from.
0: So, do you think these misconceptions were mainly motivated by people trying to make easy money by selling them to the press?
1: Of course. And I think the reason they were, people were so receptive to believing these things is, you know, there was a lot of jealousy um, that whether they felt possessive of the Beatles or John or, you know, things changing in, in that regard, or even just the deep love that John and Yoko have for each other. Maybe they're thinking I'll never have this in my life or it's just very strange how people are just so, uh, open to believing these lies. I don't know. I think people didn't understand the intricacies of it. They just took it at face value. But but she's very um she feels vibrations. She knows where things are coming from. You know, like she just has a a a sixth sense. I asked her once if she had a sixth sense and she said no I I, a seventh sense and she said I think we all have it but but we're not using it. You know, most people don't.
0: And do you know where her interest in philosophy comes
1: from? Um, I don't know oh, if she's so interested. She studied it. She was one of the first female philosophy student in her university. Um, but she, you know, she studied Buddhism. And I think it mostly comes from that. It's all very Zen. It's not a religious philosophy. It's not anything scientific or intellectual. It's just... Yin Yang, a balance, um, appreciation of nature, and you know, being in tune with, uh, but placing our values where they should be placed. She says, you know, we have dangerously misplaced values. We value gold instead of water. We we place value on an artwork hanging on a wall rather than an action that that's going to achieve something positive. Um, you know, and she also sees things that are invisible you know, she always says the invisible things are important, like air. I mean, we'd be nothing without air. And if it wasn't invisible, we'd be in trouble because that means it's polluted. Um, Or even uh, just the missing half, you know, she had an art exhibition called Half a Wind. And what was more important was the half that wasn't there. But of course, people are looking at the half that is there, like we can't, you know, she that comes naturally to her. But for us, you know, maybe we just see what's in front of us and not the ethereal. Speaking
0: of halves, where do you think John and Yoko would have wound up respectfully if they hadn't met each other?
1: Well, I don't think either of them would have been completely fulfilled or happy if they hadn't met. Um, they would have been completely different people, probably depressed and miserable. Um, they each lived a lot before they even met each other. You know um, they both had extraordinary and tragic lives with very striking similarities in a way. I mean they were both born during wartime. They were both uh, they had parental abandonment pretty much and they had lifelong trauma from from that childhood and you know John's father went away, his mother abandoned him, and she realized that her parents didn't love her for who she was only because she was a member of the prestigious family that they came from. But, um, you know, her work was misunderstood. John was trapped in the infamy of the Beatles. And, you know, individually they were kind of broken when they met. And together they just became invincible.
0: Do you have a favorite Yoko Ono song?
1: Well... I could list a hundred songs, but uh you know they're all very different. You know, there's rockers, there's avant-garde screamers, there's ballads. So it depends what you're into. But um, I mean, I love okay, for her ballads, I really love the B-side Vincent Karma, which is Who Has Seen the Wind. Right, and I love Listen, the Snow is Falling, which is another B-side. You know, there's um, Winter Song is just beautiful. Um, it's got a lot of elements of Japanese influence. Um, toy Boat and Silver Horse, Unseasoned of Glass. Uh, I'm Going Away Smiling. This one of her later ones, i Between My Head in the Sky. And then if you want to go crazy, you know, there's like Why from the first album, which is, I believe, John's favorite thing of all time uh, with Ringo on drums and Klaus Forman. Um, I love the album Fly, which has some kind of, you know, it's a, it's a dichotomy of rockers and kind of strange stuff with Joe Jones' instrumentation. And I love Don't Worry Kyoko, of course, and Oh Wind. And there's a track, Open Your Box, which is on that album, but a longer version was released a few years ago. And that's the most incredible thing in the world. Um, so, you know, Rising, she has a song called I'm Dying, which is incredible. So I could go on forever. That It's just, I love it all. <laughs> And then the John song, two My favorite John songs about Yoko, I mean, of course, there's Oh, Yoko, and but they're both on Mind Games, and one is Out the Blue, and one is I Sen, which means I'm sorry. Those are gorgeous.
0: I love those ones, too. Out the Blue is one of my favorite John Lennon songs oh, of all time, cute. I think. So why do people think that Yoko broke up the Beatles?
1: because they were told that she did or because uh, who knows but but actually she had mentioned that um when John told her that he was going to leave the band she felt this wave of fear because he said okay now it's just you and me and she was an independent artist she had never collaborated with anyone she didn't even know what he meant by that actually she was just planning on, I guess, doing her next exhibition of her own work. And, um, you know, she felt (laughs) she was terrified, but it it worked out. They jumped right in, did the bed in, you know, whatever, took it from there. But it was shocking to her when it happened. He didn't want to, you know, he loved the Beatles too, but he was just ready. He was ready to move on.
0: Madeline, what will people learn from reading your book?
1: Um, there's so much more to her life than most people know. And um, mostly let's learn the truth about her as a person. I try to bring forth her spirit and her personality Um, and the healing life lessons that took her a lifetime to develop and share. And, you know, she's kind and generous. She's funny. And, you know, she cares about people more than any other artist. I mean, it's all about communicating with us and us completing the work whether it's in our mind or in our life. And, um, you know, she, she. what did you learn from it?
0: I think the biggest thing that I took away is that her life is not just her relationship with John. It's so much more than that, because I never really dove that deep into Yoko's life. I've always had an interest, but I've never really found too many resources available that really provided an insight from her point of view. And when I was looking through this book, you know, you said only 12 years of her life were with John. Only 12 years. And a
1: separation in between of a year and a half.
0: Yeah, that I mean, that just leaves so much that does not involve John directly.
1: I also want people to realize how much she loved him. This isn't somebody who just stalked a beetle and married a beetle. She didn't know any of that. She, They, in fact... Both of them were apprehensive when they first met. They could have dived head in, but you know, she went to Paris. He went to India with the Maharishi, and they they cooled it off for a while because they weren't sure they should. She wasn't sure she get involved with someone so famous, or she wanted to do her own work. But but they they couldn't avoid it. It happens, <laughs> and um, they both. What I would say is that think about how much she continued his legacy, how much of his music and artwork and everything she's been putting out. She cares about the fans, you know. In fact, one thing she did is um, a girl sent her a letter uh, after John died and said, you know, John was killed on my birthday. And Yoko said, "Wow, don't think of it as... Uh, the day that he died, think of it as the day his soul was set free to travel the universe. And she continued to send this girl a birthday card every year for decades. So on December 8th, the day that her husband was killed, she was thinking of this girl and she wrote this slip, birthday card every day, every year
0: oh that is that is so beautiful that goes to show how kind of a soul she is, yeah,
1: that's just a little example. I mean, all the charity work, everything she does is is anonymous, you know she's very generous, whether it's on a one on one level or or you know she's working for some charity, but it's just amazing
0: um and Where are people able to find your book to purchase it?
1: So the book is, it's at bookbaby.conceptualbooks.com. It's on Amazon worldwide. And the hardcover version uh, with the option to have it signed by me (laughs) is only available at conceptualbooks.com. And there's a website for the book where you can read all the reviews and the interviews I've been doing, um, and that's inyourmindbook.com.
0: Cool. And those links will all be in the podcast description, so all people have to do is view the information, and the links will be right there for them to click on. Um, I have another question for you. and I'm wondering, what makes the Beatles and Yoko – and their art always relevant?
1: Um, I think they just always conveyed uplifting feelings, not only through their music, but their personalities. You know, they were just very personable. It's, and it was always about love and peace. They were charismatic. And the way they would all look into the camera directly at us and make us feel like they knew us, you know, and they were smiling and winking. And, I don't know. I mean, it goes for all the Beatles, too. Their love for each other as brothers and the deep love that John and Yoko shared with each other and always tried to include us. Um, You know, they were always totally communicating and they all understood the power and responsibility of celebrity. And they always just radiated positivity.
0: Madeline, what are you up to now? Are you starting a new book? Do you have any ideas for a next project?
1: Well, it could be uh, compiling all the stories on my blog into something cohesive, which is madelinex.com. Um, but right now I'm busy promoting the book, and that's the most important thing. And I just hope you know people open their minds to Yoko's amazing story and spread the word so that the truth can be learned.
0: Absolutely. And again, in the podcast description, you can find all the links to purchase your book and go to your blog. Um, and is there anything else you'd like to add?
1: Um, I just urge everyone to go to the website and read the reviews. People are going crazy loving it. And uh, I think it would be a good gift for someone who, you know, loves the even the Beatles, Beatles fans. I was really well warmed, welcomed warmly at the Fest for Beatles fans in April. Um, I sold a lot of books people enjoyed my panel discussion and it was really really nice to speak with Beatle fans about her
0: awesome yeah i completely agree i think every Beatles fan should read this book
1: thank you
0: well madeline thank you so much for coming on the podcast i loved having you and i loved talking about the book with you
1: i enjoyed it too so thank you so much